Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Modern Retail Podcast. I'm Kale Guthrie-Weissman, the Editor-in-Chief here at Modern Retail. And this week, I'm joined with Edgar Blazona, the founder of Benchmade Modern, which makes some very nice uh, furniture. And I'm excited to talk about what's going on just in the general online furniture space. I feel like the past year has been crazy for a lot of different brands. Hey, Edgar, thank you so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate being here. Absolutely. So for those who don't know, uh, why don't you just give a brief little rundown of Benchmade modern. So how did it all start? How did it all start? Um, well, I used to own a brand um, called True Modern um, mm-hmm. way back in the day, kind of pre-DTC, um, you know, that whole era. And I started um, shipping, you know, modern uh, kids furniture, um, both online and wholesale. And I was one of Wayfair's first, you know, customers at All Modern. So way, way back in the day. And I started to, you know, after 2008, the um, kind of world crashed, my world crashed. And I realized I had these warehouses both in the East Coast and West Coast filled with kids furniture and my sales stopped completely. And it went down to literally one um, piece a week going out. And I was racking up these bills and these warehouses and all that. And, And I learned and I thought, man, I need to find a way to make furniture on demand. And so I started messing around with sofas It's pretty much they're on demand. Um, you know, I want this size and this color and all that. So um, I started testing around in there. And, and in the beginning, I thought, okay, I'm going to raise money. I'm going to do a venture funded business. I'm going to, you know, I'm in the Bay Area. So of course I, you know, I have access to, <laughs> to those kind of guys, but you know, they're all like furniture, dude, no way. We're not investing in you. Um, and we're certainly not going to invest in you till you have it together. Um, so I basically built my own factory um, in Los Angeles because uh, that's where sofas are made on the on the West Coast. And I decided that I was going to make them custom by the inch and I was going to make them in as little as 24 hours. And people thought I was crazy. And I thought, you know what? I've, I've, I've seen sofas made. Um, that's how long it takes. So why can't we just do that? So I got to fix this problem. So I built my own factory and started to, to prove to the world that I could do that. And then I raised a bunch of money, you know, went back to those investors, raised some cash, and I started Benchmade Modern. And in the beginning, you know, we were making sofas within 24 hours. Um, custom by the inch. And, and since then, it's changed a bit. And, um, you know, that's where we are today. We make them in about four weeks, you know, three to five weeks. Right now, we're in about five weeks, but, but um, which, you know, the rest of the industry is, you know, at like 16 weeks. So we're still really fast. Yeah, absolutely. I think I can think of when I've looked for couches before, and when I was looking at the custom made ones, I remember it being 12 to 20 weeks and thinking, oh, that's four months away. That's crazy. So how did, like, how do you do that? What is, what's the process in manufacturing? If so many other custom places have such a long lead time, what's the difference? Well, I can't give you all the secret (laughs) recipes, so to speak, but what I can tell you is a lot of that is about timing of the materials coming in. Um, you know, having the correct materials on hand, you know, a lot of it has to do with that. You know, the old world furniture industry would, you know, oh, I want a red sofa, you know, okay, I'll order it. And then, oh, sorry, sir, they don't, we don't have the red fabric and Mm -hmm. it's going to be 16 weeks, so to speak. And so 
I set out to kind of fix that. Let's just have the fabric. I mean, duh, no brainer. Like, let's have the fabric or don't offer that fabric. You know, that sort of thing. Um, the other thing is starting processes of it before it actually, um, you know, instead of waiting for the whole thing to come together and then start it, um, there's a little bit of that happening. Um, um, and then really just getting it to the front of the line and, and you know, pushing that through and, and not allowing the the line to wait. I mean, in, in reality, that's what you're doing. You're allowing the line to get bigger and bigger and bigger. So mm. the 16 week wait is really, I'm at the end of the line waiting 16 weeks. So how do we start from day one, you know, to, um, to not let the line get long? What do we do? And um, we throttle between about three to five weeks in general. We try to be at three weeks but we throttle between three and five. Interesting. Is it, is there also a, like, do you have more people on hand in your warehouses? Is it a labor issue or is that not, it's just sort of the materials at hand and the, the pre-making of, of, of some of them. Yeah, there is. Um, we use a variety or we use a couple different facilities and we'll push orders to one facility versus the other, mm-hmm. you know, we'll allow, you know, one to catch up and, and then the other to catch up. And we try to, you know, who's faster at one versus the other. And we try to give those pieces to them. And so it's, it's, it is a lot of handholding. I have to say, we have to, <laughs> we, we do a lot of handholding. Do we, do we add more labor to it? Um, no, we really, you know, we're constantly trying to hire labor um, as it is. Uh, but there isn't a whole lot of extra labor added to it. Um, we just try to try to schedule them a little bit better. Got it. How many how many warehouses do you have right now? Well, it's not actually warehouses um, okay. because we make them custom made to order. They're manufacturers, so okay. uh, we have uh, two to three facilities um, uh, that we use. Uh, one, our parent company in in Dallas, um, and then two in California. And so we we try to throttle back and forth between them. Got it. And so, talk to me about sort of the the rise over the last few years, sort of how, how have things gone? Has, have you had to have, I don't know, an education process with explaining exactly, you know, what, what your sofas are sort of walk me through all that. You mean to the customer or, yeah. or yeah. Yeah. I mean, we in general have to find a way to show the customer that they can buy a 3000 to say a $6,000 sofa mm-hmm. online, right? Yeah. Which is, which is really difficult. How do we get that customer past the hurdle of, Hey, look, we're not going to swipe your card and take your money and never send you a sofa. I mean, I, mm-hmm. there's a lot of that, right? In, in, in our price point, there's a lot of people that are new to spending this type of money online. Most of them have never spent this much of a, a dollar amount, let's say, online in a single transaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have to kind of get them over that hurdle first, right? And and we do that by, you know, our swatch box that we send out is amazing. Uh, we send mm-hmm. it second day air. You know, it comes immediately and it's like, wow, these dudes, these dudes mean business, like, boom, you know, and that's how we try to try to help get them over that curve. We then have like 100 day return policies and, and 15 day no questions asked return policies. Those are all designed to reinforce, hey, we're the real deal, you know, and that's a big, 
um, a big deal. And, and frankly, it has, it has helped. All of these things has helped us win awards, right? That social proof that everyone talks about, you know, that's a big, big deal. And you don't get that social proof unless you, you win it. And, Mm -hmm. you know, so we do everything we can to produce a great piece of furniture. Um, you know, and a lot of it is, you know, we put everything we can in materials. I'm a materials junkie. I like the best stuff in the furniture because it doesn't come back, right? If I put the best stuff in with the best artisans and the best tailors, then I know it's not going to come back. And and so that's kind of, that's how we educate. It's all kind of a fine-tuned process that the cut, maybe it's way over the customer's head. They don't but at the end of the day, they they get it. You know, they feel it. It's about that feeling of like, I feel secure enough in order to buy this $6,000 thing, you know, online, which is a big deal. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about the social proof because I, um, you know, I know that this year you guys were voted or the, the, the wire cutter, the New York times is listed you as, um, what they're one of their choices. And I feel like for especially a big purchase, that's a very big win for a brand, but also you were written up in 2016 by the, the New York times actually. And so have, did you notice, like, what are the impacts of those kinds of sort of organic press? Yeah. Uh, let me just flex a bit and say, we won best sofa of the year, two years in a row, back to back by wire cutter. (laughs) I mean, and that, that's a big, big, big deal, right? Um, you know, best online sofa. I mean, that's amazing. And, and I think your question was, did I, have I seen a change since then? I mean, and that social proof? Yes. You know, that first New York Times article that came out was a, was more about the cool things we were doing way back then. And then, Mm -hmm. Then Wirecutter said, okay, we want a sofa. We want to, we want to test it, you know, and, and a lot of that has to do with, you know, getting the product, you know, we're probably the first one there, I would assume with product, you know, was our sofa well tailored? Yep. You know, open it up, you know, pull, pull off the dust cover on the bottom and look under our hood. Like our stuff is tight. I mean, it's, it's really high quality stuff. So, so frankly, we should have won, you know, we, we, I mean, you know, I, I sent out a tweet the other day and I was like, hey, DTCers, you know, sofa people, like, let's each give a sofa to a, a um, you know, bipartisan um, press person and let's get judged. And whoever wins is crowned sofa king publicly. Let's both do it like old school battle style, right? Because I'm so confident in our product and, and I know that it's, you know, because we put the best of materials we can and, and all that. And that's not just hype. And so, yes, the wire cutter saw that and we won. And and that's a game changer. That sort of social proof is a game changer um, in this day and age because people so, read it. So what are like, talk to me about the actual effects. I like, I know the wire cutter. I've actually years, years ago, like wrote for the wire cutter. And so, and I know that for like, for when you're, it's a smaller pr- purchase price, like you're going to see an impact pretty quickly because people are just going to click on Amazon and buy it or go to their website. But yeah. when you're a, a three to six, $6,000 sofa, how long does it take when you see sort of an increase in sales come in? Like tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> no joke. Yeah. Really? I mean, it's, yeah, it's, it's day after when, you know, our web number spiked, um, you know, the, the traffic alone spiked, uh, our swatches, um, our swatch orders, 
were so overwhelming because we weren't used to that cadence. You know, we were, mm. we were making the swatch boxes, you know, on the fly or, you know, had enough to do, you know, a couple hundred. And then suddenly it's like, no, we need to do a couple thousand, you know, and it was, it's just like that. And so in the scheme of things, um, it was a real, a real game changer in it. It frankly, it helped us to understand the power of social proof. You know, I mean, I see that, oh, you know, on someone's site, like Forbes says, you know, blah, blah, blah. And you just kind of overlook it. But in reality, um, it is a, a double digit growth, you know, and still, you know, um, year over year churning new business. Wow. It's a so you mentioned. Yeah, I can I can imagine. Um, you mentioned uh, a few minutes ago that uh, you know part of the education for you and how you, how you positioned the website and all that is based on trying to make people feel comfortable making such a big purchase online, sort of sight unseen. Um, talk to me about because I feel like three years ago that was a huge deal and like people I feel like maybe Casper was one of the first companies yeah. that really hit mainstream like for that kind of thing and totally. now uh, with sofa specifically there are a bunch of other companies that have that have popped up that are doing similar things and so have like has that changed the way that you've positioned your brand now that there's more of an acceptance among people to buy these products online sort of how have you evolved the overall brandings because it, it people are buying their their sofas online now and it's less weird yeah that's a great question um you know i could point to casper was one of the first in the in the mattress industry the 100 day thing for sure you know but that's a six to eight hundred dollar yeah. product you know, mm -hmm. then you look at one of our competitors, Joybird. You know, mm -hmm. Joybird was one of the first to do the 100-day uh, thing. But that's still a $1,500 product. You mm -hmm. know, so, so you know, really our competitors are, you know, are, are out there. Um, they've, that we've all started to do it um, because we found that, that we need to do that. Um, and it, it inspires confidence. But still, we're the most expensive um, that there is, um, online and I, uh, well, I should say, I mean, we're the most, we're on the higher end of the direct to consumers. Um, mm -hmm. and you know, has it changed us or how has it changed us? I think that I, I think that this material thing that I brought up before, you know, a lot of uh, a sofa is materials. You know, mm -hmm. it takes the same amount of time to to sew a twelve hundred dollar sofa as it does to sew a three thousand dollar sofa. But it's what what are the differences, right? So it's all the materials that go into it. So so I think that that's where the change has taken place. It's not really online. It's about let's put the best stuff under the hood so that we can have confidence in it. And that the pieces don't come back. And I, I think we've only had, you know, there's been a few flagrant, you know, 99 day returns <laughs> where it's like someone clearly, you know, has put this on their calendar. I'm going to reach out at 99 days and return this thing. And it's only been a few and, and far between. Um, and I, I think that goes back to having great materials. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I want to ask, and that sort of answered it. But like, on average, how many people take you up on on these sort of guarantees, either changing the material or doing something like that? Like, 
less than one percent. Really? On the on the hundred day guarantees, yeah, for sure. Because it just it's it's very 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 rare that the sofa fails. Now, interestingly enough, right? There's fall off, and people don't realize this when you get a brand new sofa. There's fall off. Like the sofa will never be as good as it was that day. Mm-hmm. Now you could say that with all product, right? But but foam starts to fall apart. It just it starts to compress, it starts to disintegrate, it starts to like completely, you know, I don't want to use the word evaporate, but, <laughs> but that is kind of what happens, right? And so people don't realize that and and the better foams take longer to fall off. So 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 that's really kind of the um that's why we're okay with the 100 day day mm-hmm. return and you know for the few people that try to take advantage of it um for the few people that are listening to this and want to try to take advantage of it you know most people realize at the end like actually this is a pretty good thing and and I'll just keep it cuz <laughs> you know this is making my life right we're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back so you mentioned the the wire cutter bump. Was there a pandemic bump too, or just walk, talk to me about what's what's happened over the last year? Because yes. I imagine that there, yes. like, more people are buying furniture, but also Would I'm sure there were to, some. Yeah, get into Would it. Would love to talk about pandemic because, <laughs> gosh, it feels this feels almost like dirty to talk about, you know? Because in in reality, and I I I even struggle saying this out loud, but the honest truth is is that people are at their home they're sitting in their environments and they're thinking gosh i really would would like to have a better scenario and so in uh in march you know we had incredible fall off numbers wise i mean our business stopped you know uh and it was down 50 percent and i remember you know um speaking to some people and 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 them saying, gosh, if our business falls 50%, we're going to go out of business, you know, and, and I'm saying, well, it's coming because it's here on California and it's coming. So prepare to go out of business. And, and, and so we started planning for disaster. Um, in March, um, our business started to, to pick back up and by April, it had totally launched and and that's the part I, I struggle saying out loud because, you know, it feels bad that we, you know, I guess I don't want to say taking advantage of the pandemic. You know, in reality, a lot of people were at home and we were shipping sofas and and we tried to get as many sofas to people as we possibly could to make them, you know, to to give them a better environment. And, you know, the factories are closing down the the. You know, we're, we're, we're making masks at one point. So we started to, in order to keep the factory open during the pandemic, we started making masks and, um, you know, just to stay alive because in reality, we're supposed to shut down, but we're going to make masks for people. This is pre early, like early, early when, when people weren't really making masks, they're hard to find. And the making of the mask really saved us. We used our fabric, our fabric cutoff scraps, 
you know, we taught our sewers to, to make masks. Our sewers gave up their time and, and made masks for free and we shipped them for free and, and all that. And it, and it really started to save our business until we could get back in business and people kind of got a handle on it. And then once people got a handle on it from a factory side, like how can we safely make furniture? How can we safely ship furniture? Then frankly, it just skyrocketed and, and we've had a really um, successful year or, you know, previous year. Uh, 2020, um, based on a lot of need, and there's tons of demand, um, and it's hard to find, you know, all the other things, the materials, the trucking, you know, all those things that are, are vital to us. Um, it's been a real struggle to to keep up with the demand. So walk me through. I didn't realize about the mask thing. That's interesting. So how did you come to that decision? And was that so? Was that to sort of meet product demand or to keep factories open uh, because th- it was an essential product? Or sort of how did you like? And then how did you go about like making the designs and then also marketing them? Given that people are you know you're you're a sofa company, you're not a mask company. Yeah, a lot of um, that's a great great question. And and for me personally, you know. Um, no one could get masks. No one could get sanitizer. You know, I don't know if you remember those days, but it was do, it was yeah. rough, right? And and my wife works for a company, Hanson Vodka. They were making sanitizer, so mm-hmm. I had a line on sanitizer, and I started delivering like a paper route in my community sanitizer. Like I put up this post. I said, "Hey, I got sanitizer." You know. PayPal me, Venmo me, I'll deliver you sanitizer, right? Then at my own factory, I was like, okay, what are we going to do? Let's make masks. Like, how are we going to keep our people employed? Right? That's a big thing. Like, forget, like, the pandemic, but we got to keep these people employed so that we still have them to be even able to make sofas, you know? And and was the business essential, you know, mask making essential? Well, maybe we might have been flirting with, you know, a little bit of, you know, blurring the lines there, um, you know, but, you know, I, a funny story, the city came into to one of the, the Oakland fa- or LA facilities and they said, oh, what are you guys doing in here? And they saw the mass and they're like, oh, okay, you're making mass. Like whatever you're doing here is cool. And then, <laughs> then that city came back the following day and ordered a hundred mass, right? Because mass were, tough to get at that mm-hmm. at that time that kept our people busy um honestly and it kept the morale up so you know we put out all these marketing and 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 you know tweets and whatnot hey we got masks you know and and sent it to our mailing list and you know and and then we got a bunch of mass business and you know and i we did that at cost right like we made no profit on that um we just did it as a good thing to do. And and then suddenly, you know, uh, Frontline Foods, I'm not sure if you're familiar with them, but they they supply um, uh, money to the restaurants that then the, then the restaurants supply food to the hospitals. A great, great situation to keep the restaurants alive and to keep the hospital people fed. And um, so then we built this app, you know, right on our site, like Donate you know, while you're buying a sofa or mask, donate to Frontline Foods as well. And so we really took an aggressive, you know, approach. You know, what can we do as a furniture maker? What can we do to help with the pandemic? And I think that in the end, that really paid off and it showed people that we care. Um, and then we started delivering, you know, great pieces of 
of furniture for them to sit on. And still to this day, you know, I give sofas away to nurses all the time. That's a big, that's a big thing of mine. Like, hey man, you guys are struggling. I make comfortable stuff to sit on. You know, feel free to, to, uh, have a have free sofa and, and be comfortable when you're off. Cause I know you're having a rough, rough job during your day. Yeah, absolutely. So what are, given that this 2020 was unforecastable, no one knew what was going to happen. It's sort of been, I guess, just insane on many levels. How are you planning for this year? What are you seeing in just the overall like sofa market and what people, what the demand is in the coming year? Um, we, we were up a hundred percent last year Wow! and we expect to be up um, maybe 80% to a hundred percent this year. Um, if the material is there. Got it. So right, right now there's actually a demand on foam. Mm. Um, and, and it's not actually on the foam. It's on the raw material that makes up the polyurethane foam. And so nationwide, there's a foam shortage and all the factories and foam buyers are being put on allocation. Um, and, and we're literally being divvied out percentages of our normal everyday foam as a, as a whole, as the whole U S um, and you know, all of us are struggling. So when you see these crazy lead times at, you know, say a crate and barrel, you know, or, you know, one of our competitors or us now, um, it's due to foam allocation. Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. And that, and that's the same thing for metal, you know, metal prices have skyrocketed, foam prices have skyrocketed, you know, all these different supplies have skyrocketed. Uh, but this allocation thing is kind of far and beyond, you know, they're throttling us. And then I have a million customers coming in who want more and more and more. So it's, it's a tough battle for sure. So I want to pick your brain about this because one of my reporters wrote sort of about this um, a few weeks ago, and I've seen a number of specifically with, or it's been in many different parts of retail, but one with furniture that in, in an attempt to be more sustainable and eco-friendly and also keep manufacturing in, they're turning to, um, like manufacturing, like 3d printing and things like that. Uh, is, is that a, is that scalable? Like I've always wondered like how that actually works. And like, is this something that you've looked into? What, what is, what is, how does that overall work? Cause I always, I remember 3d printing and other like new types of materials that can be like grown in labs take a while and are very expensive. There are, uh, I actually have some friends in the 3D printing furniture space, mm-hmm. um, and they are working on being able to cost effectively, uh, print 3D print furniture. Um, now it's not foam. It's certainly not upholstered goods. Yeah. Um, but, but they're able to do it. Um, I have some other friends that are, um, doing, uh, well, the, there's some other people I should say out there doing uh, fake leathers, like like grown leathers, which I find that to be super interesting, um, and I'm excited uh, for that. Um, I think that those leather people have a great great business if they can get that to a product. You know, in in reality, if they can produce a product that comes in a roll. This leather versus a hide, there is so much waste in a cow hide. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, to get a large piece of, of furniture out of it, you know, we have to cut right out of the center of it. And there's so much waste that, that if we could just, 
you know, create this fake. It's it's like a mushroom product, I believe, that yeah. they're making leather out of. I've Super cool that. stuff. Um, yeah. I'd love to explore to explore using that in a in a everyday uh, type uh, situation, manufacturing situation. Absolutely. All right. Well, we're uh, we're almost running out of time, but I want to sort of get you know get into sort of what your future plans are for the year. So you mentioned that there's the foam shortage and some other supply shortage, but are you like what are you looking towards for in terms of product development, or are you just sort of keeping with the program that you've always had? Sort of how 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 are you positioning things? Pushing things forward. Yeah. I, you know, we are adding, you know, we've, we've just recently added some great lighting, you know, we've got rugs. So we're trying to expand some of our other categories. Um, we've got a few new sofas coming out, uh, a few new uh, sofa beds. Uh, so for us, it's all about, you know, fine tuning what we've, you know, launched not that long ago. Gosh, it, it you know, it feels like forever ago, but really, you know, we added, 10 new collections two years ago. And, and so we're just fine tuning all of that and adding these new categories so that we can be uh, a little bit more of a one-stop shop, you know, for a number of the items for the home and, and really just fine tune our process and, you know, work on our rebellious luxury. (laughs) You know, that's a big thing that we do is, is, you know, we are a little bit different than your, you know, regular mom and pop old school furniture company. We are a little bit rebellious and, and it's fun to play with for sure. Absolutely. All right, Edgar, this has been such a fun conversation. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I appreciate you having us. And thank you for listening to this episode of the Modern Retail Podcast, a show by Digiday. If you haven't already, please do subscribe and send this podcast over to a friend who you know would enjoy it. See you next week.